Good morning, family. Um, I am Beth Mallory. I, I'm a wife of Steve and uh, my three girls, Heather, Tiffany, and Jeannie, and Dave's favorite mother-in-law. <laughs> so um, today's scripture reading is from John uh, 17, verses 14 through 26. And Dave didn't know this, but it's one of my favorite chapters <laughs> in the Bible. So I might pause at this one point that um, God totally wrecked my heart over. So, Alrighty, so I have given them your word. The, word. the world hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them in, into the world. I sanctify themselves for me so that they may also be sanctified by truth. I pray not only for these, but also those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am you. I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory that you have given me, so they, have, so they may be one just as we are one. And this is the verse that wrecked my heart. I am in them, and you are in me, so that they may be complete, made completely one, so the world may know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what an awesome verse. Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see the, the glory which you have me, given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known you that, known that you sent me and made your name known to them, and I will continue to make it known to the so that the love that you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them. So this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mom. She is my favorite mother-in-law, by the way. And I was her first son-in-law. I don't know if that means I'm her favorite. You'll have to ask her. She'll say one of her favorites. I think I get the edge. So but I'm grateful for your willingness to read scripture for us this morning. Uh, if you do have a Bible, get to that chapter, chapter uh, 17 in the Gospel of John. Today we finished up a four-week series that we've called Formed. Next week we begin a 30-week journey uh, through the letter of 1 Corinthians. That will take us fall and into uh, April of next year. I'm excited. That's one letter that we haven't preached through before. I think it's going to be timely for us. The series is called Grounded and Growing, so we begin that next Sunday. Formed. The definition of formed is to bring together parts or combine to create something. And this is what the Lord Jesus is doing through the gospel. He is saving individual people like you and me, bringing us into relationship with him through faith alone and by grace alone. And he saves those individual persons and brings them into the family of God, the body of Christ, the flock that he has shepherded over. He is forming not just persons, he's forming a people, a people for his possession, a people who by the grace of God are being formed into the image and likeness of Jesus, a reflection of him. 
Because like we've been saying in this series, we are formed by who we follow. And as the Lord's people, we are first and foremost, above all else, seeking to follow Jesus. Follow Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And in doing so, we are being shaped and transformed by Him. Last Sunday, we looked at the first uh, 13 verses of John 17. We finish it up today. The context of John 17 is that of prayer. This prayer was faithfully recorded by John, who was one of Jesus' disciples. And in it, Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying for the disciples that he is with in that moment. And he's praying for those who will come to faith in Christ in him in the centuries to come, including you and I. And in the second half of Jesus' prayer, I want us to see three words that capture what Jesus is praying for and praying will be done in us as his disciples. Here's the three words, sanctified, unified, and loved. Sanctified, unified, and that we would know that we are loved by by the Father. We'll look at this in three sections, and each section is associated with one of those words. So verses 14 through 19, Jesus is praying, sanctify them, Father. In the CSB again, it says, I've given them your word. The world hated them because they are not of the world, but as I am not of the world. I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. I sanctify myself for them so that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus is praying for us as missionaries of him, as sent ones. If you're in Christ, you you might have gotten up this morning and not realizing that you're on mission today. You thought, well, I'm a student, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, a teacher, business owner, architect, coach, analyst, salesperson, carpenter. And while that may be your vocation, you and I are also sent into the world as missionaries, not just on Sundays, but as a way of life. As his people, we are sent on mission from our neighborhoods to the nations. Jesus was sent. More than 40 times in the book of John alone, Jesus Jesus says, the Father sent me. So as the Father sent me, so I'm going to send out my followers. So if you're a believer in Christ, then you're a missionary, then you are sent. So when you get up and go into school on Tuesday, or when you walk into work, or when you run your errands, or when you're welcoming somebody into your home, where you live, you are sent just as the Father sent the Son. Consider this truth. God formed you before the foundation of the world. He chose you, appointed you to go and bear fruit. That's John 15. So where you live, when you were born, the family you were born into, the family you were adopted into, the place you go to school, the place you go to work, the student sitting next to you in class, the the neighbors that just moved in next door, it's all part of God's providential and good work in your life. You're not just in those places and those circles of of influence by accident. You've been sent, brothers and sisters, and Crosspoint, we have been sent collectively as His church. We've been sent into this area and this world to show and tell of the gospel as a church. We want to answer Jesus' prayer just as He was sent, so we are sent into the world. And you also see in these verses that, that the Lord is praying. He's praying, sanctify them by the truth. So what does that mean? It means believers in Christ have been set apart for a mission. 
Jesus was set apart for a specific mission and purpose. He was holy and perfect. And just as Jesus was set apart or sanctified, so we are set apart for a specific mission. As followers of Jesus, He is our teacher. His way of life is what we are following. His, his word, which is truth, is what, is what we're reordering our lives around. So as a result, as His students, we are to live lives of growing devotion to Him. Him as our teacher, of growing holiness and purity in Him. Our words and way of life should look, it should set us apart from the world that we are on mission to reach. And the life of Jesus wasn't just set apart from the world by what he avoided, loved ones. What I mean by that is his life looked different from the world, not just because he didn't murder someone, or not because he avoided gossip, or he didn't get drunk down by the Jordan River. His life was set apart because he always did the will of the Father, which involved not just avoiding sin, but living a life of great commandment love. Loved ones, don't reduce the Christian life as simply a life of avoidance of certain socially taboo sins. The Christian life is one of obedience and devotion to Jesus. We are made holy in Him by grace alone. He no longer counts our sins against us. The condemnation that was, that was ours was, was laid upon the Son because we are in Christ. We are now seen... A great exchange has happened. We are seen as holy and righteous in His sight. That's our current position. That's who we are in Him. And as a result, then we live lives of living out that identity, both inwardly and outwardly, that set us apart. How we live our lives should look different than how the world lives their life. Because we're living for a different king. We're living for a different kingdom. And the king is not us, and this kingdom is not of this world. Sanctify them, Jesus prays. Now, here's the other part of sanctification. When we, when we get saved and repent, believe the good news, we are set apart or sanctified. New creation has come, old has gone. Our, our sins, past, present, future, are no longer counted against us, separated as far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103 would be a great psalm for you to dwell on to, to be reminded of that truth. But that does not mean that we are instantly free from the temptations of our flesh or the world that we live in or the luring of our spiritual enemy. We all walk into this room well aware of those realities as, as we look back at the past seven days. So we are sanctified, but we are also being sanctified as we live. In other words, the, atten the intent of a believer's life is to be more and more free from sin and to grow to be more and more like Jesus and that process is not finished until either Jesus returns or we go to be with him in heaven. So this means that as Christians, we don't take on this aura of perfection or this aura of arrival or spiritual pride because we aren't perfect and we haven't arrived and we are, we are to pursue humility in Christ and not pride. Yes, we've been justified, made right before God. Thanks be to Jesus, our Savior. Our trust and faith is in Christ. And then we spend the rest of our lives joining the Lord in His role of sanctifying us, making our hearts, our attitudes, our lives, our words more and more like Him. By His grace, we are holy. By His grace alone, we make progress in a growing holiness. And Jesus prays in John 17 that we would be sanctified by the truth. 
And he says the, the word is truth. The word is, is our Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The process of sanctification is not simply a passive one where, where God does all the work. Yes, it is ultimately a work of the Holy Spirit to transform, us, transform our hearts, renew our minds, and yet we also join in the Lord. We partner with the Lord through our humility and through our activity in this process. And one way we join Him is through reading and dwelling in and being active in the living and active Scriptures and allowing them to change us. If you're brand new to reading the Bible, start in the Gospel of John. If you want a good study Bible, I can get you one after the service. If, if you're new to reading the Scriptures, if you're not on a specific reading plan right now, maybe it's the Gospel of John, maybe it's also 1 Corinthians as we begin that, that letter together next week. Invite someone to read with you, whether it's your community group, someone in your household, a roommate, a coworker. invite someone to read with you. This is one way we answer Jesus' prayer. He's saying, I want my followers to obey my word. I want them to be made more like me through it because, he says, his words are truth. Loved ones, we will not make progress in our faith apart from a regular diet of the scriptures in our lives. We want to be a people anchored to the word because in doing so, we are answering Jesus' prayer for us here in John 17. So in this prayer, we learn that followers of Jesus are set apart or sanctified and we are sent back into the world, set apart and sent. Being in the world but not of the world, Christians tend to swing to an either or of that. I've had friends through the years, I could see them swing to one extreme or the other. And Jesus addresses those extremes in this prayer. Verse 15, it's a, it's a it's as if he knows our tendencies. Verse 15, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. One tendency is for believers to say, yes, we are set apart. We are made holy and sanctified, and as a result, they disengage and disconnect from a lost and dying world and its people. It's bomb shelter mentality. In a sense, it's we're going to stock up on water and gas and food and hunker down. And let's just wait until either Jesus returns or we pass away. It's as if they had this conversation with the Lord saying, can we leave now? Can we leave now? It's dark out there. It's only getting darker. The road is narrow and hard, Lord. And, and the Lord says, yes, I know, but, but you're the light. You're a city on a hill. You're part of a local church, a local faith family sent out as witnesses, ambassadors to show and tell of the gospel, to show how it's changing your life, to tell of how it can change others' lives. It's the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. So one temptation is to separate, but then neglect the command that you've been set into the world. On the other side, in the same verse, Jesus prays that that you protect them from the evil one. So on the other extreme, what Christians will do is they fully realize they're sent. They engage a lost and broken world, but in the process, neglect to make Jesus the center of the main message they are sharing. 
that the gospel gets set aside. So if the previous group saw church as a bomb shelter for this group, they think that if the church looks more and more like the world, it will be more and more effective in reaching the world. And so beliefs and practices conform not to the ways of a New Testament church or not to the ways of the Lord, but to the ways of the world, which, by the way, as you know, are constantly and forever changing and are in opposition to the kingdom of God. So this group knows they're sent, but neglects the prayer of Jesus that that believers are to be set apart. This group falls into the trap of, well, culture says it's okay, so we think it's okay. Culture becomes the authority. What others think becomes the authority, rather than God's word, which is for our good, and for our freedom, and for our life. And Jesus is praying to the Father, protect them from the evil one. We do have a spiritual enemy, loved ones whose mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is praying for us, protect them. Protect them, Father. Yes, we are set apart, but also sent into a world that is lost without Jesus and in desperate need of the good news. Yes, we are sent, but also set apart. And because we are in Christ and holy in His sight, we're called to pursue a growing holiness and Christ-likeness as, as a witness. So in this mission that Jesus sends us on, there are enemies to the accomplishment of this mission. If you think of any great movie that has a hero, there are always things that hinder the success of the mission that the hero is on. Well, in Jesus' prayer, we get a glimpse into some of these enemies that we will face in this mission. We just talked about a couple that we would either neglect being set apart or neglect being sent out. In the next section of prayer, Jesus is talking about another enemy, and that is of division or disunity. What you see in the New Testament is that we are following Jesus together, pursuing the mission together, serving together, growing together, being changed together, praying and singing together. Maybe I'm being redundant. We've been saved into a family, a body, a flock, brought into brought toward the Lord, toward one another. And so knowing that, the Lord knows that our flesh is still present. The temptation toward division and disunity is ever-present. Jesus knew that we would be prone to a spirit of division among his kids. And here Jesus is praying for us as his future believers that we'd be unified rather than divided. Verses 20 through 23. I pray not only for these but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I'm in you and you're, you're in me and the Father. And we're unified is what Jesus is saying. Father, Son, Spirit, the, the triune God. God exists in three persons. He's unified within himself. He demonstrates this is how it's done. This is how relational unity happens. Look at the Trinity. And Jesus is reminding us of the unity then of Father, Son, Spirit. And that's our pattern as God's people in the church. The Lord exists in community with himself. And so as his people... We exist in community with one another, pursuing that same kind of unity. 
Now, does this call for unity mean that, that truth doesn't matter or that we should compromise the truth for the sake of unity or not at all? Here at Crosspoint, we call these our statement of beliefs. They're on our website. These are the non-negotiable, ancient, orthodox tenets of our faith that are sure and steady in a world that is tossing to and fro. Again, we use the phrase anchored to the Word because as a New Testament church, we are anchored to what is ancient, not to what is trending on social media. We are anchored to what is unchanging, not what is changing as the shadows and the wind change all the time. We also talk about being centered on the gospel because the cross and resurrection, the good news of Jesus, is of first importance. And Jesus is central to why we are here. He is the one who reconciles us to the Father who we are seeking to be devoted to. Father, Son, Spirit, Jesus is who reconciled us to one another, the eternal new family that, that we are pursuing a love for one another, a dedication to one another, and then He is also the one that we carry that message of reconciliation to a lost and dying world, to a world that needs hope, that needs salvation, that needs freedom, freedom from the chains of slavery and generational dysfunction. Our unity as a local church is not around preferences. It's not around who the pastor is or who we cheer for, or who we vote for, or our socioeconomic status, our backgrounds, our races. Because the unity that Jesus is praying for doesn't mean uniformity, as if we need to like all the same things, dress the same way, look the same way. So we are made distinct with different passions, gifts, and experiences, but that distinction doesn't lead to division, it leads to unity. Unity in our in our love for Jesus, unity in the gospel, unity in the mission that we are a part of, unity with one another. So we answer Jesus' prayer when we pursue relational unity with one another, where we repent of sins that destroy unity, such as gossip or unforgiveness or indifference or pride or self-centeredness, and when we turn toward a life of humbling ourselves and bearing with one another and serving one another and sacrificing for one another, spurring one another on. And we answer Jesus' prayer when we move, for, move toward, away from isolation and toward biblical community with one another. This is one reason why we continually encourage you and I to move beyond just a Sunday engagement in this local church, but to find a ministry to serve in, to find others to do life with, to welcome others into your home for fellowship, so Jesus, pray, Jesus prays that we'd be sent, we'd, we'd be set apart from the world's ways. We'd be sent into the world on mission to make disciples. We'd reflect the Father, Son, and Spirit and how we're unified. And then Jesus closes his prayer starting in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation Righteous Father, the world has not known you. However, I have known you, and they have known that you have sent me. I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known, so that the love you have loved me with may be in them, and I may be in them.
The third word I want us to get in this section, in this passage, is that of loved. Jesus is praying that we would know how deeply loved we are as his people. That we would know that he's going to the cross to pay the price for our sin. That he would rise again for our salvation and conquering sin and death. And in doing so, Crosspoint, I pray that you and I might grow in our understanding and our experience of how great it is to be loved by the Lord. How great the Father's love toward us was in the sending of his one and only Son to lay down his life for our life. It is easy to, to work through this prayer a love that Jesus finishes here. Because for me, I'm a task person. I like to get things done. So we talk about being sanctified. We talk about mission and being sent and, and going outward and pursuing relational unity and getting things done there. But we can't neglect this. This is why I want to talk about John 15 earlier in August. Just how sweet it is to abide in the Lord. How sweet it is to be known by the Lord. And that we wouldn't find our identity in what we do, but in who we are in Him. And I say all of that, which I hadn't planned on saying, because I need to hear that. And I believe many of you need to hear that. That as His people, we would just continue to grow in, in our experience and our knowledge of His great love for us. Romans 5 6 through 8 says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for just a person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in this, that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. We are going to remember that reality and celebrate that reality through communion. If you're a believer in and follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome and invited to take communion to, to remember His great love for us, demonstrated through a broken body and shed blood through bread and juice. And let's spend some time in prayer in thanksgiving for His great love for us. But God proves His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink the juice. The Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for praying for us. Then in John 17 and continuing to intercede and pray for us now. Enable us by your grace, power, and spirit to be a people who would be active in being answers to your prayer. Thank you that your word is truth and by it we are changed. Continue to change us, Lord. Make us more like you. And give us the humility to welcome that work and the, and the grace-fueled activity to, to pursue it. Thank you that you've set us apart for a mission. You've sent us on mission as a way of life. I pray that, that all that we do this week, the coming days, would bring you glory and reflect your goodness and your love toward those around us. Thank you that we have unity in you, Lord. Unity in the gospel, unity in your truth, unity in the mission. 
Help us by your grace to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Give us a, a gentle, humble, bearing with, patient spirit toward one another. May the enemy have no foothold in this place and among this family. Thank you that your love is unfailing and so good toward us. Your love endures forever. And for that, we give thanks and worship you. We love you, Jesus, and we are grateful that you first loved us, that your love so beautifully and powerfully displayed through the cross. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. I pray that our answer this week would be yes to the Lord. I pray that we would grow in our experience and our knowledge of His great love for us.